0: Morning. grace and peace. I still need to get used to that bumper, so the timing was off a little bit. I'll fix it next week. Don't worry about it. Well, uh, this is the second Sunday of Advent. We as a church have been observing Advent, and I hope that uh, the Christmas spirit has come into your home and it's coming into your life right, right about this season. Uh, how many of you have a Christmas tree in your living room already? All right, most of you. Uh, The day after Thanksgiving, Beth and I and the kids said, let's go get our Christmas tree. That's usually what we do. The day after Thanksgiving, we go try to fetch a tree. Unless, of course, we're out of town with uh, my in-laws in North Carolina. But usually, that's what we do. And we usually go to Costco. That's our place to get our Christmas tree because uh, the trees there are beautiful and they are affordable And so we got there early, right before Costco opened, and we waited and they opened. And we were walking up and we're asking the gentleman that's at the door, Hey, where can we get the Christmas tree? He says, There's no Christmas trees this year. It's like, Okay, Grinch. (laughs) I was like, Why why no Christmas trees? He says, Yeah, I, I don't know if you know, sir, but there is a shortage of trees happening right now due to the fires. In California and, you know, the lack of workers and the nurseries. Uh, We're not going to be selling trees this year. And there's going to be a shortage until 2029. Did you know that? So I'm looking at my wife. I'm like, Costco. I mean, this is Costco. All right, so we're at the one in Flagler. I don't know if that's the one you go to. but It's the one closest to our house. So across the parking lot, there's a Home Depot. I said, for sure, Home Depot is going to have them. And surely enough, they had their little tent set up, and they had it, but the trees look horrible. Horrible. They're not tall enough. I mean, this is Friday after Thanksgiving, and we're not, like, waiting last minute to get a tree. Horrible. They're not tall enough. One tree was so crooked, i never seen that. The, the truck went up, and it bent one way, and then another way, too. We finally found one in the back. It was like, this one looks okay. So we get to it. And we turn it around, there's a big hole. And one of our daughters is saying to us, hey, we can take a branch and put it in here in this hole. (laughs) The price tags in the three digits. I was like, what? And so we're driving home completely discouraged. We're like, we're going to have to buy a fake tree this year. It's going to have to be a fake tree. Well, we've been looking for a tree this past week. We couldn't find one. Until Friday, we found a tree at the Alex Rodriguez uh, charity lot there uh, on US 1, I think 27. But even that tree we got is rough, <laughs> skinny, rough, rough tree. We're saying, we're, we're saying to ourselves, at least it's going for a good cause, guys. So <laughs> rough little tree. We took it home, and you know, our older daughters came home and were like, "What is this? It's our Christmas tree this year, guys." And, you know, on Friday night, we were setting up the tree, and the girls were putting the ornaments. And I'm sitting there on the couch. I can't believe this. But then God is starting to speak to me. And I'm beginning to realize that an ugly Christmas tree conveys and communicates the message of Christmas much better than a beautiful, perfect tree. By the way, where do we find these trees? <laughs> should have just hey Beth, we should have just come by the church and taken one home. It would have been free. I don't know who hooked up with these. All oh, they have deers and everything. But I was thinking about it, and here's why: we're used to a sanitized picture of Christmas. The Christmas cards. The decorations around us in our homes and in the stores give us a sanitized picture of Christmas. But when we go to the Bible, that's not at all what happened in Bethlehem. Christmas was stressful. Christmas was messy. Christmas was smelly. It was a mess. It was imperfect. Much like the ugly trees. Want to know about it? Go to the Scriptures. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 give us the account of Jesus' birth. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinus was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, King David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in a swaddling, in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. This is the word of the Lord. I, I believe that if we come to grips with the true reality of Christmas, if we understand that the original Christmas was messy, was chaotic, was stressful, I believe it can bring a lot of comfort into our lives especially during this season. The truth of the matter is that many of us here lack peace during this season. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe you cannot be with some of your loved ones this year. Maybe you don't have the financial means to host people and to buy gifts. Maybe you're going through a very difficult season of life right now that makes it hard for you to celebrate anything Maybe the future seems uncertain for you. What's going to happen next year with my life? And I don't know how work is going to pan out. How's it going to turn out? Maybe you have a difficult child at home. Maybe you're a student, and this has been a horrible year at school for you. But if you understand what happened in Bethlehem in the first Christmas, you may be able to find comfort and peace in this season, regardless of the circumstance that surrounds you. I mean, look at the people of Christmas. Today, I want us to look at the people of Christmas. Then I want us to look at the place where they're at. And then, let's bask in the promise that Christmas brings. So today, let's talk about the people, the place, the promise, three Ps for you today the people of Christmas. And, and the people of Christmas are the people who are there in Bethlehem as Jesus is being born, Mary and Joseph. Who are Mary and Joseph? Well, if, if you go to the other birth narrative, the other Christmas narrative found in Matthew chapter 1, there's two narratives in the Bible about the birth of Christ. Luke and Matthew. And if you go to Matthew, here's what we learn about Mary and Joseph. First of all, we learn that they were two teenagers that were engaged to one another. Their parents had arranged their marriage. They're probably at the age of 13 and 14 because back in that culture, that's when they would step into adulthood. So here are two teenagers. They didn't fall in love necessarily, or at least we don't know about that, but what we know is that their marriage had been arranged. And in that culture, once you are engaged to someone, there would be a year of preparations before the wedding took place. If you were a young man, you would work to build a house. You would work to solidify your business or your craft in order to be able to support your family. You would not want to bring in a, home, a wife into a home and Build a family irresponsibly. They turned out to be great men back then, maybe better than today. If you were a young woman, you would spend time with the older women or the elderly women of your village, and they would teach you what it meant to be a wife and what it meant to be a mother. They taught you everything during that year. And it was during that year, we learn in Matthew chapter one, that the angel of the Lord shows up to Mary in a random day and breaks the news that she is number one, favored, and that she would be God's instrument to usher his salvation into the world by giving birth to a son. To which she responds back to the angel, How am I gonna do that? I'm not even married yet, I can't have sexual relations yet. And the angel says, well, the power of God and the Holy Spirit of God will come upon you and will put this child in your womb. She goes, obviously, and talks to Joseph, and he is confused. (laughs) The Holy Spirit? What? The text tells us that he was such a good young man filled with character that he thought about divorcing her quietly. Instead of exposing her to public shame and said, look what she's done to me. She cheated on me on our engagement year. He says, I'm going to divorce her quietly. And I'm going to spare myself of the shame and her of the shame. That it will come if we continue our engagement. Because she's going to show up with the belly in a few weeks or maybe in a few months And it's in that moment of distress while he's planning his way out when he's trying to make a decision probably filled with fear and uncertainty that the angel of the Lord now shows up to Joseph and comforts him. And he's able to find the peace and the courage to move forward with God's plan. If you were to ask me why did God choose Mary and Joseph of all people to usher his salvation into the world, I don't know. Why wasn't another little couple chosen? Why them? I have no idea. But here's what we know. They were as unexperienced and as unqualified as Ted Lasso was to coach an English premier team. You know what I'm talking about? There's a show called Ted Lasso. If you're not into culture, if you're, I mean, you are know, live in a cave or something. <laughs> They were unqualified. They were unexperienced. So much so that we learn that when they go to Bethlehem to register their family, it was a couple days worth of travel. We learn, number one, that, by the way, Mary did not have to go with him. It would suffice if he was there by himself registering his family. But I think this is what happened behind the scenes because we don't have a lot of information. I think Mary thought about it. She said, Joseph, I'm already very, very pregnant. If you go on this trip, you have the risk of missing the birth of your son. I must go with you. I think women think ahead. Men don't think ahead. So much so that while they're there registering, what do we read? What do we read in verse 6? And while they were there, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. They're probably standing in a line, and her water breaks. That's exactly what the text says. She didn't expect. They didn't plan it. So she now looks at Joseph. Oh, we're going to have the baby. Where's the hotel room? He's like, hey, I didn't reserve any hotel room. It's like, what? I can relate to that. About 12 years ago when we first moved to Miami, Beth and I planned a trip to New York City. We were going to go there, and I was going to meet with my mentors over at Redeemer. and um, You know, we were going to take some time also and have fun In, in, in New York City. The older girls were little at the time. My parents were in town. They stayed with the little kids. And so she says to me, okay, this is a great idea. Why don't you pick a hotel for us? The services, the online services were not as good as they are today. I think it was Hotwire, the one I picked. And so I, I reserved the hotel room and we get to New York right around lunch. We're hanging out. We have these meetings. We have this amazing steak dinner at a restaurant with some of, uh, some of these church leaders. And now it's 11 p.m. and we're heading back to the hotel. And I said, we, I picked a great location. It's right here in Midtown. It's like, okay, we're getting there. And I get to the door of the place and she says is is this the place i said yeah this is the location this is the hotel where we're staying she said this is not a hotel i was like what do you mean it's not a hotel just read it i'm like hostel <laughs> <laughs> and she's like i'm not staying here just for the record and i said but it's 11 p.m. where are we going to go come on you know maybe tomorrow we'll go somewhere else I didn't know. I was like, I I shouldn't have allowed you to do this. And by the way, I've never picked a hotel again in my life. In the last decade, I haven't picked one hotel room. So we get up there and, by the way, going through the lobby, strobe lights, young people dancing. (laughs) What's going on here? (laughs) You get to the room. We open the door. First surprise, a roach comes out. And we get to the bed and there's a Blood stain on the sheets. She's like, I'm not sleeping here. I like, what are you going to do? So I was able to negotiate going to Kmart in Midtown in the middle of the night and buying sheets. And bringing it back and setting up the bed. But that, that, that just shows. You know, I, re- I can relate to the frustrations and the plans going wrong. My, my heart was not trying to do anything bad. He knows that. I was trying to do things right, but it didn't happen the way I was planning, and so didn't Christmas in Bethlehem. They ended up in a stable, which was much like a cave. If you were to go there today, some of you are going with me in March, you know, they didn't have these stables like you would know with dividers and horses and these different areas. It was more like caves that you would go into where shepherds were working day and night out in the fields. They would just bring their animals and they would have mangers there. They would put the food to feed their sheep and protect themselves from the cold weather. It was like that. And so here they were unprepared, unexperienced, unqualified. And yet God comes into the world through these two unprepared, unexperienced, unqualified teenagers. And what I believe this says uh, is comfort. Because if God can come into their lives, he can come into any life. You know, we are taught that if we are going to be used by God or if we're going to get closer to God, we've got to clean up our lives and qualify ourselves and make everything right. Well, that's not how God works. If you read the Bible, God only works with screw-ups. He only works through imperfect people. God only uses imperfect people because imperfect people are all there are. And so if you're here today feeling less about yourself, I want to tell you God can come into your life and he can work through you to bring his purposes forth into the world. Because the story of Christmas in Bethlehem is a story of God's Grace. It's a story of God's grace. Which means this that if it is about grace and if it's not about performance, then I have an amazing future in front of me if I believe and receive the true Christmas message. Those are the people of Christmas. What about the place of Christmas? Jesus is born, you read here in the text, in the city of Bethlehem, which you guys learned a little bit about last week from the sermon that Pastor Carter preached. Bethlehem at the time of David was an insignificant small town. Through the years, it had gotten some notoriety because King David was born in Bethlehem. But Bethlehem has always been a small town, has always been held as a sort of insignificant town to this day. Go to the Bethlehem, you, uh, there are checkpoints and walls, and that's how it is. And so Jesus is born there, but the text tells us that they came from another town. We read here, there's two towns mentioned in this passage. And the other town is the town of Nazareth, an insignificant town, a small, dirty town that when Philip told his friend Nathaniel on the Gospel of John that he had found the Messiah and that the Messiah had come from Nazareth, his friend responded, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So here in the story of Jesus are two small, insignificant places. But even inside Bethlehem, there was a lower place than these cities itself, which was the place where Jesus was born. Inside a marginalized town, there was a marginalized place. It's kind of like the experience that I had several months ago when I went into the Favela do Sapo or the Sapo Slum in São Paulo where we have all these social projects where we're building a portal. I got there with uh, Robert Guerrero and some others and we were ministering to uh, the people there. We were distributing uh, grocery bags. Uh, Robert preached there and we were spending time praying for people. And while we were there, there was this young woman that comes over, because Robert's preaching in Spanish, I'm translating it into Portuguese. There's this young woman that comes to him, and, and after a she's just crying, She's bawling, and he's laying her hands on her, and he's praying for her, and then they leave in this little alley. And then I'm asking after a while, I said, where's Robert? And so he went into that little alley. I go in there, and at the end of this alley, there is this small little house made of cardboard. It's the most disgusting place some of you have never seen before. And there's a family of Bolivians living there. They are illegal immigrants in Brazil. And inside the slum, they are the outcasts of the slum. They're the lowest of the lowest. I couldn't believe that that even in a place like that that where about 5 6000 people live crammed up there are the lowest of the lowest the outcast of the outcast doing slave labor and we are there praying for them and i'm saying this to you i'm telling you this experience because i want you to relate to what's happening here this is the place that jesus was born if jesus was born in a modern day city like sao paulo he would be born Sort of in the house of those Bolivian people that live in that slum. The lowest of the lowest. Because shepherds back then were the lowest of the lowest. And for you to be born in, in a cave where the shepherds, shepherds were the lowest of the lowest. Imagine the animals of the shepherds. For a culture like the Jewish culture, it's all about cleanliness. You're born in that cave. That's the lowest of the lowest. And that is to communicate to you and I that if God can enter that situation, if God can enter that Bethlehem moment, He can enter any situation that you may find yourself in. Some of us are saying, I'm in the situation I find myself, God wouldn't want anything to do with me. He would never enter the mess of my life, the chaos that I find myself in right now. God is saying to you, I've entered worse places. Just look at the story of Christmas. It brings comfort to our lives. He wants to enter into your situation in your Bethlehem moment. He wants to find himself there. It brings comfort. It's kind of like, you know, I have four kids. If you have kids, your house is never clean, never organized. And you just have to accept that fact, okay? Because if not, you're going to be stressed out. You're going to be a mean parent. You're going to be mean to people at work. It's going to affect your life in all sorts of ways. So you just got to give up. But I, I would admit, and Beth would know, that's like sometimes you, you know, you're, you're thinking, I can't believe uh, somebody would want to come to my house. If somebody knocks on my door, I'm going to pretend that I'm not even home. Because I don't want to open the door and things fall on top of them. You see what I'm saying? And you're always in that constant fear. Some of you, I, 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 I can't have community group at my house because if they come into my house, they're going to be like, oh, it's a huge mess. They're not going to want to come back. Maybe. Or what happens when that is your situation and you go into another family's home and they have kids too and you open the door and it's a mess just like yours. You're like, oh, what a homey, amazing place. I feel good in here. Because there are other homes like my home. And these people can come over. They can come over totally. Because I've been in their home and I've seen their mess. And God is saying that to you. Hey, I've been in worse homes. I've been in the worst situations, like the one in Bethlehem. I can come into your life. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. He wants to come in to bring his peace. In the middle of that chaos and that smelly place, that chaotic situation, where probably like Mary and Joseph are now working through um, their relationship rift that <laughs> just taken place, it's It's conflict. There is the peace of God, the prince of peace of God right in the middle of it, in the shape of a baby. And, you know, you're like, man, I I want him to come into my life right now. And I want him to establish and usher his peace within it. And, And let me tell you something. His peace will be established in your life, not by removing you from chaos, but by being with you in chaos. Because after all, peace is not the absence of chaos or conflict, it's the presence of God. Wherever God is, there is shalom, there is peace. All is well with the world wherever he is at. Which brings us to the promise of Christmas, the promise that this text brings into our lives, You know, in Matthew 1, as Joseph was distressed and confused of what to do, he had no idea. The angel shows up. And how does the angel of God bring peace and comfort into Joseph's life in that very moment? He says to him tw- two things. Number one, this child will save the world. Okay, that's big. But then he says, but his name is Emmanuel, God with us. He is God with you in your distress. He is God with you in your uncertainties. He is God with you in your chaos. And I think that that's what allowed Joseph to turn and say, yes, I'm going to do this. And if this is where you find yourself today in a a situation like that Bethlehem moment of chaos and uncertainty and displacement, whatever, okay, Christmas tells you that Jesus has come into the world to be God with you. And you need to understand what that means. Number one, what that means is presence, that you don't have to go through life alone. When we go through hardships with others, it's easier than going without others. I like to say that in life with others, with friends, the peaks are not as sweeter and the valleys are not as bitter when you go through life with others. And this is the creator God of the universe saying, in all the difficult moments, in all of the pain, through all of the uncertainties of life, guess where I'm at? I'm not sitting in my throne, isolated from you. I'm right by your side. I'm going through it with you. Would you believe that the creator God of the universe has come into the world to go through life with us? That's what Christmas tells us. That's the promise that it brings. But it also means not just the fact that I don't get to go through life alone But I have by my side someone that's qualified as a guide and as a protector. You know, one thing is not have to go through hardships alone. But another thing is going through hardships with others that are qualified to save you or to take care of you in the midst of hardships. Because sometimes you go through hardships with others, but they have no idea. They're as unqualified and inexperienced as you. Like if your ship is sinking... They know nothing about ships, and you're going to sink with them. At least it's a little bit more comforting. We'll die together hugging each other. But what if there's somebody there that can do something about it? I can fix ships, and maybe I can fix this problem. And You're like, oh, there's power. There's confidence that comes through that. God with us not only means that he is by our side, suffering with us, identifying with us in our pain, but he is there to defend us, to protect us, to guide us and i think that that was key for joseph to understand because as a 13 14 year old he didn't know what was going to happen if he made the decision i'm going to stay married to her he did not know what was going to happen later while they were there now in the manger okay by, by by the manger there the baby was born and then these wise men come from the east and they say hey listen you guys can't even stay here in this place you have to leave because herod has found out that there is a new jewish king That's been born. He's killing all the two-year-olds and under. And so they now have to pick up whatever they have, which was not much, and move to Egypt and walk in another country as refugees. He had no idea. Think about the chaos and the fear. When he thought that things were bad, they got worse. But I'm sure the words of the angel stuck to him as he had to pick up once again. He is right there. That child that you hold, he is God with you. He will guide you. He will defend you. He will protect you. It brings confidence and power. You know, becoming a Christian and depositing our faith in Jesus is exactly what Joseph had to do. To surrender, to trust that you may not feel that God is near you, that you may not feel that salvation is not coming, that you may feel that you're too low or too bad or too screwed up for God to want anything to do with you. But it's to trust. It's to remind yourself that that child, when he grew up, he also had to face some really dark moments himself, and he did it for us. On the cross, the presence of God abandoned him as he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the only reason why he cried on the cross, lacking the presence of God, is so that he would take our place. We deserve uh, God's disfavor. We deserve God to be distant from us, but God was distant from him on the cross so that God could be near us today. And therefore, the, the cross is the assurance, the absolute assurance, even when you doubt that God has to be by your side, that He has to be your defender because He faced death, the devil, and hell in your place so that you could be found, so that you could live, so that you can rest in these promises, so that you can proclaim these promises. This is the promise that Christmas brings us is that God can use people like ourselves with situations like the ones we're in to proclaim his good news to the world. Christmas ought to turn every Christian into a herald. Who is the person that writes about this and proclaims this good news? Matthew, who was a tax collector, a screw-up, and he writes this up. Mary, Joseph, they're proclaiming. The angels are proclaiming. The shepherds are Everyone is proclaiming. Christmas ought to turn every single one of us as encouragers and proclaimers of this good news. Which makes me think a second thing about that ugly tree in my living room. We, like Mary and Joseph, are like the tree. Imperfect vessels to communicate a perfect message to the world. That's who you are. That who, that's who God has made you to be. That's the space that he wants you to step in today so that you may find peace that succeeds and exceeds all understanding. It is here for you. He is with you. He is for you. He wants to come in into your life and into your life situation to usher in his peace. Will you pray with me? Father, I'm thankful for this encouragement that we get to receive today. The reminder that uh, we are imperfect people. We are messed up. We have flaws. But our flaws do not keep us away from you. You don't love us because we're perfect, but precisely because we are imperfect. It's in spite of our flaws. It's in spite of our inexperience that you love us. And so I pray that we would be able to find rest in this truth today as we come to your table. So that we would be certain of your love for us, that you are with us and for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.